My name is Ryan, and I have the awesome privilege of leading the youth ministry here. My family and I, we've been here for a little bit over a year. Time flies when you're having fun. It has been a joy to lead the youth of this church. We start back up from a five-week summer break. Uh, We start back up this Wednesday. Super excited to get back into the routine of youth on Wednesday nights. Um, So I'm super excited. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is where we're going to be. We're going to continue our series and study in Ephesians 4. And this morning I want to talk to us about forgiveness. And I'm going to really go through four verses, the end of chapter 4 into the first couple verses of chapter 5. But to set the context for it, I want to read starting in verse 17. We've been talking through this idea of um, what does life look like when we put off the old self and put on the new. And in the past few weeks, we've been talking about how Paul instructs us to not do something and then do something, and here's why. And so this is going to be kind of a summary of that, and it's going to end really beautifully. So verse 17, starting in chapter, uh, starting in chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says, now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let me pray and then we will unpack this. God, you are good to us. You are good to us even though we don't deserve any goodness. We are broken and busted, and yet you choose to love us. You fully and truly know us and give us unconditional love. 
You give us life and life abundantly. So God, we are grateful this morning. I pray, I pray that this morning, digging into your word, seeing who you are and what you're like and who you've created us to be would not just be another mental exercise. It would not just be a thing we do on a Sunday morning. It would not just be knowledge that we gain, but your spirit would convict and cut to our hearts that you would challenge our beliefs about who you are so that our hearts can change and through our hearts changing, we can be transformed. It is not an accident that every single person in this room is here. God, do a work in each and every one of us and collectively as a whole. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Have you uh, ever had somebody offend you, irritate you, hurt you, and reacted poorly? Anybody? You don't, the 8 o'clock didn't struggle with that at all. I don't know what, they were super holy or something. One lady actually, as I said, it went like this. Don't do that, the person sitting next to you. It's, it's, it's tough not to react poorly when somebody is irritating you, hurting you, offending you. Our oftentimes natural reaction is not so great. Um, I'm an Arizona native, uh, born and raised in the East Valley, and, uh, and so I grew up going to the Superstition Springs Mall and riding the merry-go-round. Um, it was in existence since 79. No, I don't know. It's old. Um, and so I continued that tradition with my two sons. I have a seven-year-old. His name is Weston. Um, super smart, super skinny, very dainty, very fragile, but he's awesome. And then I have a son, Maverick, who is four. He's huge. He weighs two pounds more than Weston. He's a bully. He's mean. Pray for his soul. Um, if you have him in childcare, I am so sorry that, like, just write the report, send it to me. Um, but three or four years ago, I, I continued the tradition that I was raised in, and I would take my boys on Friday morning, every Friday morning, to the mall. And we had a routine. We would go to the merry-go-round, and they were so super excited. Which animal are we going to ride? And then I would take them, and then we would find the Wetzel's pretzels stand and get them Wetzel bites. They always wanted the cinnamon, but I never gave it to them because it gets everywhere. And then we would make our way, we would end the, the mall trip at the child's play area. If you've been to uh, any mall, typically they have this. I don't know how this makes sense. It's a place where parents sit on the perimeter of this chaotic place. They send their kids into a Hunger Games style fashion <laughs> thing. And the kids run amok. One such morning... Um, I took my sons, I think Weston was about three, maybe four. Maverick was still, I think, crawling, maybe barely walking. And we were in there, and there was only a few kids playing, but there was one kid who was fairly large, almost too big to be playing in this arena. And uh, Weston is just a go, like, go lucky, is that go lucky, go happy, whatever. He's just a, he's just a, he's just a chill kid. He just loves to do his thing. And so he's minding his own business, going up and down the slide, and then walking back up the slide, and then going back down the slide. And I'm sitting talking to my wife's grandma, who is in town, and we're just talking about life, and she loves the kids, and, and it's, just a, it's just a happy setting. 
But then something changes. This huge kid, let's call him Rodney. If your name is Rodney, I, there's nothing behind that. I just That's going to be his name. I, I love you. Jesus loves you. But Rodney is his name. Rodney gets irritated with my son Weston and how frequently he's going up and down the slide and he, I guess he's in his way. And out of nowhere, closes his fist and doesn't just like punch. He swings, whack, right across my son's face. I'd love to say that I reacted in kindness, <laughs> led Rodney to the Lord, and he's a member of our youth group now. No, I would love to say that, but there is something that came out of me, out of my heart, that I didn't know existed. My son was so surprised. It, like took te- it took about five seconds for tears to actually register, but he looks at me with a helplessness, with, as if to say, where are you? Where were you? If you are a parent and you've experienced that, that is the most gut-wrenching thing. And then the tears, and I immediately stand up. And I've never wanted to hurt somebody, but he's a kid. And I froze, but there's something inside, I mean, hatred all I could muster is, don't do that. But then it registered to me that this kid is not alone. He has a parent here. I need to find this parent because we're going to throw hands. And I look over and there is his dad. And his dad is fast asleep on the side. Don't, oh, I'm the victim here. It's amazing what comes out of our hearts when we've been offended, hurt, or irritated. The end verses in chapter 4 here, Paul describes oftentimes what our heart feels. Our response is when someone we know or maybe don't know does something to us. It's almost like he summarizes this idea of when there's relational conflict... This is where our heart goes. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Paul knows the human condition. And so he emphatically says, put this away, get rid of it. The wording there is a, is a metaphor, a picture of pulling up anchors out of the sea in order for you to be able to move. There's an urgency to it. And we can read a passage like this. I often read passages like this and just go, okay, behavior modification time. Let's just move on. Don't be bitter. Cool. Check. I'll try not to. Don't be slanderous. Boom. Check. I won't do that. And we won't let the Spirit go deep into our hearts, will settle for behavior modification. As Christians, we can't settle for behavior modification. We have to go deeper into the heart. And so the question I want to ask us that I've been asking myself as I've studied this is, why does my heart flinch to these things? 
I don't know every single one of you personally. And so I don't know why your heart might flinch to this. All I know is why my heart does. And so I want to share with you just why my heart struggles and maybe you can relate. So why do I struggle with why am I currently battling bitterness? Bitterness can be defined as long-standing resentment, a refusal to be reconciled. One person says bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Why am I bitter? I'm bitter most oftentimes because I feel justice, the way I define justice, has not been done, nor has it been done in the timing that I need it to be done. And so I become bitter Justice hasn't happened, and it's not happening when I need it to happen, and so I grow more and more resentful at the offense and the offender. Can you relate? Is there somebody in your life right now who has hurt you, offended you, is irritating you, and you are bitter at them because you don't feel justice has been met? Wrath, why am I wrathful? Another word for wrath is rage, anger that consumes your entire being. Why am I full of rage? This would be similar to the phrase flying off the handle. This typically happens when I drive. Road rage is a real thing because I'm the best driver and everybody else is a terrible driver and you are, I become consumed, right? It completely embodies my whole being. Why? It's my way of control. Things are out of control, somebody hurt me, offended me, irritated me, and I cannot control it and so the only thing that I can do, the only person I'm in control of is me and it just wells up and it is flying off the handle so that I can control or feel like I can control the situation. Oftentimes, the people in my life that feel this the most are my sons. They disobey for the 19th time the same command I have given them, and I have had it. And my way of controlling them is to fly off the handle. If they see how rageful I am, they'll change. Maybe you can't relate to that. Anger. This word is not just as simple as we understand anger. What this word actually means in the original language is that it has deep roots of a judgmental heart that leads to anger towards somebody. I know none of you at this church struggle with judging. Nobody. We just love everybody. We judge people. We judge their actions and are so taken aback that they would do this, we become angry. This for me, why I am this way is simply because I am arrogant and prideful. I think more highly of myself than the person. <laughs> Can you really believe they did that? Wow, unbelievable. I would never Parents, we don't ever say that when we see other people's kids misbehaving. <laughs> I would never parent my child that way. We become angry. Clamor. It's not a word we typically use in our 
vocabulary. Clamor is a loud outburst of protest. The way I understand clamor is take bitterness, rage, and anger, combine them, and it's what comes out verbally or on social media. It's not directed at anybody specifically. It's literally what it, it just boils and just, rah, you have to get it out. Youth in the room, you know this by what we call subtweeting. If you don't know what subtweeting is, it's simply this. You are posting on social media something completely anonymous, but if the person who it's really directed to read it, they would know it was them. It's called passive gossip, passive slander. Because you just have to get it out. You have to take it out on somebody. You ever come home from work? Somebody irritated you. You come home from school. Your teacher irritated you. And you take it out on someone else. That would be clamor. It wells up, comes out. I do this because I have to justify myself. If I can just verbalize it, it will make sense. I don't know what to do with all this bitterness, rage, and anger, and so I just have to communicate somehow, and then I feel good. Slander. Slander is defined as the strongest form of expression to defame a person. You would never say it to the person, but you say it to somebody else in order to make them think ill of the other person. In other words, passive justice. Well, if they're not going to suffer, I'll make sure other people think poorly of them and they'll suffer without knowing. I do this because I want to take justice in my own hands. If justice isn't going to happen, then I'll control it. I'll tell this person who knows that person about how badly they've hurt. And lastly, malice. This one's pretty nasty. It's a desire to hurt somebody and rejoice in it. You are happy when they suffer. I've realized that this is closely tied to how hurt you feel. For me, this is what revenge looks like. They hurt me, so I'll hurt you, or I'll get excited and happy if you hurt too. In all of this, this is what my heart says. When I react to irritation, offense, pain, abuse from people in my life, and I respond this way with these six things in my heart. This is what I'm saying. God, I don't trust that you're going to deal with this the way you should deal with this. I can do your job better. When we react to people who have hurt, offended irritated or abused us, and we react in these ways, what we are saying is, God, you're not doing your job the way I think you should do your job, and I can do it better. This is not the new life in Christ. 
This is the old way. This is the old self. This is the sin that is deep in our hearts, and Paul wants nothing to do with it. He says, put it away. Get rid of it. All of it. So how? How do we do this? If this is what's in my heart and this is what comes out, how do I get rid of this? It's not, it doesn't sound that easy. The answer is found in verse 32. Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In the original language, the sentence would have read like this. Becoming kind and compassionate, forgive. Bring into existence a kind and quick to love heart so you can forgive. How do we get rid of this bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice? Forgive. Kindness and compassion are fruits of a forgiving heart. So if that's the solution, it should be easy, right? C.S. Lewis says this, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. I'm convinced that it's not easy to forgive until we realize that we're forgiven. I love that Paul doesn't just say forgive one another, period. He says forgive one another as you in Christ have been forgiven. So let me um, give you a definition of forgiveness, but before I give you a definition, I want to tell you what forgiveness is not, okay? Forgiveness is not saying that it is okay. Forgiveness does not say that sin is okay. If sin was okay, then Christ died for nothing. If sin was okay, Jesus' death on the cross means absolutely nothing. Forgiving someone does not condone what they have done or are doing. As a little kid, my parents would not allow me to reply. When somebody would say, hey, I'm sorry, I was not allowed to reply with, it's okay. I had to reply, I forgive you. Because saying it's okay and forgiveness are not the same. No, it's not okay that you hurt me. It's not okay that in your sin you offended me. It's not okay that you abused me. That's not okay. Sin is never okay. But I can still offer you forgiveness. Jesus makes it really clear. Sin is not okay, and yet he chooses to die for us to forgive us. Second thing, forgiveness is not saying I'm okay. You can offer forgiveness and forgive somebody, but there may still be a process of healing and grief and restoration for your heart that you may need to still go through. Maybe somebody hurt you 15, 20 years ago, and maybe in your heart you have forgiven them. That does not mean that you don't go through a healing process. It does not mean that instantaneously you are okay. But what it does do is that it frees you from the burden 
of being bitter and angry at that person. Forgiveness is not saying that they're okay. Sin has consequences. Our actions have consequences. When somebody sins against you, by forgiving them, you are not getting them off the hook. They still may need to go through consequences of their sins. The two thieves who were nailed to the cross next to Jesus still died as a consequence for their mistakes. But while Jesus was hanging on the cross, he offered up, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. One of the uh, criminals on the cross received that forgiveness. But he still suffered consequences for the sin. Forgiveness is not saying they're okay. And lastly, um, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. You can forgive somebody, but there not be reconciliation. In my wife's story, my wife has a story and history of sexual abuse from a stepdad. And she has forgiven him, but there is not reconciliation. He refuses to repent. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. So what is forgiveness? Let me define it as Jesus defines it, as God defines it. We cannot let forgiveness be defined by what the world or culture says is forgiveness. We have to define it through the verse like it says, as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness first then is a choice. Jesus chose to go to the cross for you, for me for us. Philippians 2 says that Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but rather took the form of a servant, humbling himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death. Jesus chooses to go to the cross and thank you, God, that he chose to do that. He did not choose to leave us abandon us or forsake us. He chooses to go to the cross willingly as a sacrifice for our sins. Forgiveness is a choice. Second, forgiveness is intimate and it is personal. Notice the verbiage that Paul uses. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is not vague. Forgiveness is not against a corporation or an entity. Forgiveness is toward and to a person. It is intimate. It is personal. I can't count the number of times people have come to me and said, I was hurt by the church. What that means is that you were hurt by somebody in the church. You can't forgive the church but you can forgive the person or people that hurt you in that church. Forgiveness is personal. Jesus dies on the cross. He knows each and every one of our past, present, and future sins, and he chooses to die on the cross for them. It is a personal thing. God gives up his own one and only son. It is personal. It is intimate. Forgiveness is not vague. Number three, forgiveness is costly. 
so costly that it cost Jesus his life. And not just a random death, one of the most excruciating deaths known in history. It was so costly that before he goes to the cross, Jesus is so intensely thinking about it that he sweats blood. He knows the cost and he pays it gladly. Forgiveness will cost you control and comfort. But, and the last point, forgiveness will bring you always to life. Forgiveness on the cross doesn't stay at the cross. Three days later, Jesus comes back from the dead. He provides life for forgiven people. Forgiveness is a process that will always lead to life because Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Tim Keller has a quote that basically summarizes this whole thing more brilliantly than I ever could. He says this, there's another option, however, you can forgive. Forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone when all you want to do with all of your being is agony. It is a form of suffering. You are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. It hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like a kind of death. Yes, but it is a death that leads to resurrection instead of the lifelong living death of bitterness and cynicism. Forgiveness always leads to life. So now what? If that's how we get rid of the bitterness and anger and wrath and slander and clamor and malice, we get rid of it through forgiveness, forgiving people who have hurt, offended, or irritated us, what now? What does that actually free us to do? Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Paul continues, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. What forgiveness does is it allows us to fully imitate the God who forgave you. Church, we need to be a people who correctly imitate God to the world. My sons know that I love them. They know that I love them unconditionally. And I reinforce that through encouragement and applause and great job. And this is great. Oh, you did so well. And they, they, they see my love through that. But you know how they see a deeper side of my love? Through when they make a mistake and I forgive them. When they disobey and I forgive them. And when they experience true love that way, they then can go and imitate that rightly. If we don't experience God's forgiveness in our hearts and then offer it to others, we don't imitate the God we claim to worship. Forgiveness frees us to imitate God as truly loved children. Second, it allows us to walk in love. 
Wouldn't it be amazing if the world saw the church, people, and all they could say about us is, wow, they walk in love, true love. This kind of love is a sweet fragrance. It's a beautiful aroma that I believe the world needs. There's a story of Corey Tin Boom that I read this week in an article, um, and I'd like to read it to you. It says, Corey Tin Boom and her family resisted the Nazis by hiding Jews in their home. They were ultimately discovered and sent to a concentration camp. Corey barely survived until the end of the war. Her family members, however, died in captivity. Seared by this terrible trial by fire, Corey's faith in God survived, and she spent much of her time in the post-war years traveling in Germany and elsewhere in Europe, sharing her faith in Christ. On one occasion in 1947, while speaking in a church in Munich, she noticed a balding man in a gray overcoat near the rear of the basement room. She had been speaking on the subject of God's forgiveness. But her heart froze within her when she recognized the man. She could picture him as she had seen him so many times before in his blue Nazi uniform with the visored cap, the cruelest of guards at the Ravensbrück camp where Corey had suffered the most horrible indignities and where her own sister had died. Yet there he was. At the end of her talk, coming up the aisle toward her with his hand thrust out, thank you for your fine message, he said. How wonderful it is to know that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Yes, Corey had said that. She had spoken so easily of God's forgiveness, but here was a man whom she despised and condemned with every fiber of her being. She couldn't take his hand. She couldn't extend forgiveness to this Nazi oppressor. She realized that this man did not remember her. How could he remember her among thousands? You mentioned Ravensbrook, the man continued, his hand still extended. I was a guard there. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But since then, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It has been hard for me to forgive myself for all the cruel things I did, but I know that God has forgiven me. And please, if you would, I would like to hear from your lips, too, that God has forgiven me. And Corey recorded her response in her book. She says, I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And I still stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, and so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Who do you need to forgive? What do you need to put away? 
how do you need to imitate God towards someone? What does it look like to walk in love with somebody who has hurt you, irritated you, or offended you? Church, let's be a sweet-smelling fragrance to the world by walking in love, by imitating God, made possible through his forgiveness, which we then offer to one another instead of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Amen? Let me pray. God, I pray for hearts right now that as we have read your words, people have popped into our minds. People have hurt us. People have offended us. And people who quite possibly have abused us. God, I pray that our hearts would recognize how deep your forgiveness is of our sins, that we would not think little of your forgiveness and therefore forgive little, but we would see how wide and deep your forgiveness of our sins is so that we can go and forgive others, that as we do, the world would see the sweet-smelling fragrance of love and grace and mercy. It's in your name we pray. Amen.